This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, are grocery stores really to blame for rising food prices? Sylvain Charlebois, Canadian researcher and professor in food distribution policy at Dalhousie, the food professor, dives into some of the real issues that we aren't talking about when it comes to inflating food prices like political theatre. Craft beer market founder PJ LaRue has been given one of the highest honours for beer people, being welcomed into the knighthood by the Confederation of Belgian Brewers. It's literally a thing. They've got locations all across Canada. And Sir PJ, I guess it is. And are you okay with pest control? Relaxing outside. It's really all about animals. And it's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. I don't like Twitter. I don't know how people can... I like I, Sylvain Charlebois here, uh, the food professor. Um, he, you get on Twitter and you spend a bunch of time there, and I can't do it. Uh, I watch what people go through. Dan McTagg's another one, man. He goes and he's all over Twitter. I had a guy come at me because I made comments about law, law. Sylvain, I made comments about um, the the. Oh, pol- you were attacked by the law, law mob. No, I don't know which way it was. I think it was a. Uh, I don't know, political thing. I don't know. So one of the politicians had made a comment about why is it that Galen Weston makes 400 times the salary than the mean salary in law, blah, 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 blah. And my opinion about that is that he owns the company, right? Like, so he's assumed the risk and all these things and plus expertise and da, 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 da. I'm not saying it's not too much money. I'm just saying that's why he doesn't make the mean income. I mean, I'm a, that's my nature. You take the risk, you take the reward. Now the person online was like, how could you say that stuff? That was terrible. He inherited a company, da, 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 da. Well, it's a publicly traded company. So there's all kinds of people that are, that benefit from the success of, of these organizations. And I just, I always struggle with that Sylvain because you know, we politicians have an agenda to make these people look like bad guys. And whether we agree or disagree with the decisions and the pricing and all the ways they run their business, these are massive organizations with tons and tons of real estate over and above grocery. And we need to pay close attention to it. Now, you and I can bet around the ball of, should they have so much control of food in a country? Kind of like my opinion about, should this union that's gone on strike with the CRA have so much power to handcuff our financial systems in this country with so many employees and one um, union leader can make that decision. See, th- these things scare me as Canadians. So mm. take that for what it is and and um, and apply your food professor smartness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's not a whole lot of smartness going on when it comes to law law these days, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we we do have an open economy. Uh, we do believe in uh, in capitalism to a certain extent, with with some regulations and and uh, and some parameters. That's fine. Uh, we've never really we've never had a healthy conversation around profits and and the morality of selling food in Canada up until now. Uh, I agree. I mean, basically, I actually do believe that Galen Weston was underpaid. When you actually look at the data mm-hmm. and compare his salary versus others, when you compare Loblaw's financial performance which, w- versus other companies, there's no, there's no doubt that Galen Weston was absolutely underpaid, even though he owns, by the way, he owns 26% of Loblaw. So he owns... 
personally 52% of George Weston, and George Weston owns about 56% of Loblaw. So he owns about a quarter of Loblaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a big factor. So yes, he owns the company, but he, he also has to report to a board. So he has to perform well. And the company really has performed well. Well, and not I mean, only the that, stock price. He's not, he's, he has never been paid to be the face of the company the way that, and it, so that sort of testimonial endorsement, and, and, and he put himself that, out that, there. That, that became the problem. I, I actually do think that, uh, you know, he was underpaid, and yes, he did get a, a salary bump, and, and that's fine. Uh, I think there were two things that have happened that really went against uh, Galen Weston as a person, as a leader of, a, of, a, of the largest private employer in the country. One, um, the uh, messaging around his uh, increase, salary increase, was just not well done. And actually, I, I had some exchanges with the VP of communications at Loblaw. We both disagreed, but I actually do think that uh, Metro did the same mistake a few years ago. Now, when they actually announce bonuses, and they have to, uh, they also report uh, on what they've been doing with food banks, for example, at the same time. And right. they actually they also show us some some sympathy around what is likely to happen with the, with the salary bump. So those are the things that you have to keep in mind when you're selling food. Now, to that point, Galen Weston makes his money selling lipsticks and drugs and T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Okay, For, That's the reality. When you look at the let's balance Let's call it prescriptions sheet, so we don't get sued. He's not selling drugs. <laughs> He's selling yeah, prescription that's right, yeah. medication. That's right. I should, <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. I'm, that's the French in, in to me. That's yeah, why. So, that's good. Yeah. He sells prescription drugs and, uh, and medicine to Canadians. And, and when you look at uh, financial statements – that's where he's making his money, but he's on television every single day selling what? Selling food with a yellow jersey. Mm-hmm. And so the association between food and Galen Wesson is visceral, and that is his doing. I mean, he was the one that decided to uh, become uh, the the face of the company uh, in the media, just like Dave Nichols did many years ago. But David Nichols was a different person. He was jolly. He was, you know, uh, a, a salt of the earth kind of guy. And it was really the beginning of, of a brand. Gail Weston is a nice guy. I've actually met him a couple of times, but he is a, a corporate type. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think really he became the target. And I actually do believe that he was he was tired of being the target. I bet. Well, I'd pull the family out of it because this is a business. Let's treat it like a business and let our family go be our family. I think when you look at Save on Foods, and I know that this doesn't resonate with anybody sort of east of Winnipeg just by the nature of their growth right now, but the yeah. Patterson Group, um, the president of that, who is the face of that company, uh, he is uh, Daryl. Uh, they even have Daryl's deals. Daryl right? Jones. So, but Daryl, yeah. my understanding was Daryl started out as a bag boy. And yep. he doesn't own. He's been the on my podcast. Oh, has he? He doesn't. Yeah. He, like the nicest salt of the earth, um, work, oh, yeah. worked his way up guy, but he doesn't own the company. Now, maybe he has a percentage of it these days, or he definitely would get bonused on performance. But he has earned all of it. And the 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 difference being is that that guy doesn't claim or doesn't have the same last name as the owner. And there's a big difference there. And I think the way they've gone about it at Save On is. Uh, far more successful than when they went about it at Loblaw just because of the nature of the, how are you, the perception of this sort of uber rich family. Well, I mean, Shane, can, can you name the CEO of Empire Sobeys? No. 
Can you can you name the CEO of Metro? It's probably Mr. Sobies. Mr. Metro? <laughs> Mrs. Metro. No. In, in, so that's Michael Medline and uh, Eric Laflèche is the CEO of Metro. Uh, they both had the same job and they've actually made uh, you know a decent amount of money. And by the way, at Loblaws, Galen Wesson is not the best paid employee. Oh. It is Robert Sawyer, the CEO. So there you go. So the operating guy. So Yeah, it's the CEO. He's going to retire in about 12 months. Um, so I think really the decision was to uh, take a step back, and I think it was a good decision. I think that uh, Galen Weston's uh, days uh, as uh, as the spokesperson for the company are numbered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to disappear for a while, and that is a good thing for him. It's a good thing. I mean, basically, his presence in the media became a, a an, un, an inconvenient distraction for Loblaws and and for everyone else. And frankly, as an academic, it was it, it became so hard to rationalize with the game public in terms of what was going on with food prices. People just automatically pointing fingers at grocers and accusing them of greedflation. It was ridiculous, yeah. Shane. I mean, seriously, we have the third lowest food inflation rate in the G7, including the EU, yep. after Japan and, and the in the United States. This is a global phenomenon. Glenn Weston is not responsible for Germany's 20% in food inflation rate. Right. Well, and so I let me bounce a couple things off you then on this topic, since, since we have a few of them here. Um, these companies are making money on real estate. They're kind of like McDonald's, right? They're really making money on on the real estate, the assets, the things that they're building and everything else. I mean, that, that's really where their money's coming from. I mean, yes, their cash flow is coming from things other than groceries. But the when you have a government that's, you know, talking about taxing fertilizers and then you've got wars in, in other countries and, and all these sort of, plus you have pandemics and regardless of yeah. agreeing or disagreeing about overspending during the pandemic, it happened. Here's where we are. So let's just start there. So there are all kinds of things going on. And this is where I sort of went, why is the federal government calling in all of these grocery people when it really becomes a larger Canadian voter who we vote for policy thing? Canadian voters being educated on the things that matter to Canadians. And it was almost like the government was said, hey, what a great opportunity to blame the grocery stores so we can deflect this. When really, carbon taxes and all those things have had a massive impact. The amount of money these all of the governments around the world have poured into the world has had a massive impact on all this. Well, you, you know, uh, you know, you, you spend enough time on social media to know that corporations are an easy target. Socially, socially, they are an easy target. It's easy to blame companies because they can't defend themselves. Mm. Uh, as they have to go through their trade groups, like for example, with Loblaws, Empire, and Metro, they often go to the Retail Council of Canada to defend their position collectively. You don't necessarily see companies attacking or critiquing people who are critiquing them. That's why academics actually go after companies because they're they're an easy target. And and for governments, it's the same thing. Governments are an easy target. So you have two people, two entities that are easy targets, governments and corporations. And who blinked first? Well, it was basically corporations and governments actually took advantage of the situation and and basically cleared the path for Canadians to accuse grocers. It was actually the greedflation campaign was beautifully done. Mm-hmm. It was actually beautifully executed. So you're absolutely right, Shane. I think it was by design. It was an easy target, knowing that themselves, Jagmeet Singh, 
Uh, and other politicians know that they are easy targets as well. So you have to go first. You have to draw first, essentially. It's just important for us to acknowledge the fact that the political theater around it um, was 95% of it. The grocers showed up. They said, well, how much profit's too much profit? And, and here's how much money we're making. So they, they showed up and showed the numbers, and then it all fades away because the government's like, oh, yeah, okay, by the way, nothing to see here. So, I mean, there are there – are, reasonable conversations to be had. And I'm a capitalist. So I, I do believe that go be special, go knock it out, go be um, creative and, and find solutions that, that you can sell to the world. I'm, I'm all but, for but, that. But that's un, what, what, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Shane, but what's, what's totally unfair um, from people saying that these companies are making too much money, I, I, I would want to hear an answer to the following question. What is too much money. Yeah. What is excess profits? Uh, economists like Jim Stanford out of uh, out of BC constantly goes on television saying that these companies are are making massive profits. Well, could you tell us where the line is, yeah. please? Just tell us. Now, if if if, if rules don't really uh, make sense to you, what should be? The rules. Well, the, so that that does raise the question about okay, saturation could be a rule, but that's a government thing, right? Like that's the government not doing its job. You could say that you're. I mean, they do it to us in broadcasting. You can only have so much saturation in a market. They could go in and say you can only have this many grocery stores in this many square miles. They do it with liquor stores. They do it with pot stores, right? Like they could, but they're not. So. Why is that the company's fault for saying, by the way, people over here have to drive 10 minutes to the grocery store. We're going to put one two minutes away. I, that's To me, again, that goes back to being a government problem. Saturation is something they could do. Yeah. I mean, although it is fair to say, I have learned this even being a capitalist, that it's concerning to me, like I said, about government and a union for the CRA. It's concerning that one person has that much power over Canada. It's also concerning to me that food of all things can become a leverage point. Um, that could be the case. I'm not saying the grocers are doing it, but the current structure would lead to believe that somebody could do it. So there are competition conversations that we could probably have around this. Well, absolutely. Well, right now, what's what's really useless is, is this politicization of food inflation. Yeah. I mean, the grocery rebate. Yeah. It's... It's a GST. It's a it's, it's an enhanced GST rebate. Can you call it the way that what what it is? It's not going to help anybody. Uh, it's going to help some a little bit, yep. but we're still going to be facing some higher food prices down the road. So what's your solution there? Yeah. And so when you politicize food inflation, you don't really come up with real solutions. And when I actually showed up in Ottawa in December, I tried to invite the committee to look look for really structural, meaningful solutions like the code of conduct, for example. And to me, it's always been about independent grocery stores. You need to protect independent grocery stores right now from from the bullying happening uh, between Loblaw, Walmart, and vendors. That is very toxic. Uh, they are overpowering the market. It's hard for people to understand, but that's really that really is the problem right now. Loblaw fully controls the market along with Walmart and others are just following suit. So it's like it's like a, a snowplow. Walmart and Loblaws are the snowplow of the industry and Metro and Sobeys just follow behind. Mm -hmm. They don't say a word. It just they just benefit from the fact that the path is clear. 
uh, and independents are just left in the snow. That's basically what's going on right now. That's a and, warehouse and, and problem. Of course, we're, we're also losing a lot of processing plants. When Yeah, well, there's that. Um, so, But that's a, that's a warehouse problem, and that's part of this conversation that most people don't talk about is that these big grocers own the distribution of the food. You go to one grocery store, you see compliments. You go to a completely different branded store, you see compliments because that sort of no-name notion is being distributed all from the same warehouse, right? Like, Actually, it's, it's not necessarily true. So all of them have private labels, but there's actually just one company who does it very well. Who does it very well? And that's Loblaws. Mm-hmm. You go to Loblaws at office. The address is one President's Choice. Mm. That brand matters a whole lot. That brand is in the middle of what I believe the most effective food innovation cluster in the country, if not in North America. Hmm. That super cluster has invented provided cans with really great innovative products over the years but but it's a super cluster that actually innovates for just one company right so and metro aren't even close kirkland at uh, costco not even close they control and that's why when you talk about distribution you're 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 partially right. They actually have numbered companies at the mercy of the brand. Yeah. So when Loblaws deal with uh, 12345 Inc. in Cambridge, Ontario, that company is making, say, President's Choice cookies. Those cookies are theirs as much as Loblaws. If there's a recall, if there's a marketing problem, uh, if anything happens to the product, it's the numbered company's problem. That's power, and no one else can do that in the country. Trucking when Target came to Canada was was the big secret behind the thing, right? 2014, yeah. Yeah, so way back again, almost 10 years ago, the um, when Target came into Canada, all the biggies went, fine. If to the trucking companies and said, if you guys go truck for Target, you don't get our business anymore. We'll take a wild guess who they stuck with, right? So getting the getting the products to Target became the problem. It wasn't the price, yep. right? So that's the kind of stuff that goes on in the background. That's the kind of stuff that becomes regulation, saturation, uh, competition bureau, all of that. And that's where I still say that this this is a Canadian voter problem because the government's not standing up for Canadians there. Great that you get a carbon tax rebate, or excuse me, a GST rebate, but it was your money to first place. All you did was give it away. They took a chunk to manage it, and then they give it back to you. We, we shouldn't forget, though, Shane, that Canada is a complicated place to do business. Yeah. Uh, Target opened 125 stores all at once in a very complicated market with with heavy interprovincial barriers, problems, uh, labor issues are immense. Uh, our fiscal regime is super complicated between provinces. Uh, that's why Target didn't survive. Target underestimated the complexity of doing business in Canada. So we lost Target, we lost Lowe's, we lost Sears, we just lost Nordstrom for the same reasons. And that's why it's so complicated to be a, a national player in Canada. And so on the one side, it's been difficult to attract companies like Little and Aldi into the market so they can actually offer good deals to Canadians. Uh, on the other hand, it's been cozy for our grocers. Margins are actually double of what they are in the US. So, but it's like I said, Canada is just not an attractive place to invest. The role of government to me, to me, 
is to make Canada a more attractive place to invest. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? You deal with interprovincial trade barriers and you make sure that the fiscal regime makes sense. And yes, I'm talking about taxes and the carbon tax. Today, today, the Auditor General of Canada uh, published a report on uh, how uh, how poor of a job the federal government right now is uh, doing when it comes to measuring the impact of environmental policies on gas emissions. Right now, we are flying in the dark. We're actually asking people, we're asking companies to pay to save the planet, and Ottawa has no idea whether or not these policies are actually helping the planet. That's what the Auditor General of Canada said today. That's crazy to think. Um, it's fascinating. I thought of you. I was in Costco. I saw a four pack of steaks for $75. I thought of your 12 children. <laughs> and I thought, I know that I know that Sylvain likes to have, you know, the weekend family nights with some nice steaks. And I'm like, with all of your kids, you can't even buy these steaks and feed your kids steaks for a hundred bucks. And I thought of you because you and your, your <laughs> large and I, family. And I, and I got some bad news for you, Shane. Oh, it's going up. I, God. I, I like beef. You like beef. But so in five months from now, beef is likely going to be more expensive. Oh, God. Why? A drought in the U.S. Uh, ranchers are getting rid of their herds. Uh, it's costing too much to feed them. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at futures right now. Cattle futures are way up. That's a sign. That's a bad sign. I think we'll survive barbecue season. But right after, I think, I think uh, prices are going to go up. So – Go back to Costco, my friend, Buy them. and stock up. <laughs> That's a good tip. Or I'll just put a cow in the backyard. Nice. Yeah. I'm in Alberta. Yeah, I, nobody and, would and think I'll twice. I'll bring the shotgun. I'll bring the shotgun. <laughs> and nobody would think twice. They'd be like, oh, there's a cow in that guy's yard. It's Alberta. That's what happens here. Uh, thanks so much for the time, brother. Appreciate you. Take care, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Oh, beer. What a trend beer has been, hasn't it? Beer has always been this sort of magical companion that we get to take with us to some of our happiest and saddest places. But it's really sort of this kin thing, the uh, the bonding with people we care about. And beer has uh, its own magic to it. Not, and I don't mean, trust me, beer has magic to it. Uh, but beer, the world of beer is a is an orbit of its own, an ecosystem of its own. We get to salute a gentleman by the name of PJ LaRue. Um, he's the founder of Craft Beer Market. And I will let PJ tell you where the crafts are because uh, I remember the first one. And uh, I, I, I happen to know PJ from the past. I'll talk about that a little bit. Brother, how are you? It's good to see you. Uh, great to be here. I'm good. So um, Craft Beer Market... It's a big old beer hall with all kinds of beer on tap. That was really the idea. Bring beer to the people. And then you got, did you get a phone call from the Confederation of Belgium Brewers that said, hey, PJ, by the way, we want to make you a, a knight of the Confederation of the Beer Folks. How did that work? Uh, something something like that. It was a, it was a, a supplier that I have uh, in Canada, an importer, and then through... Um, uh, one of the founders of a Belgian brewery uh, or family of a, a Belgian brewery uh, that reached out and said, "Hey, we'd like to put your name in the hat. Would you would you be okay with it?" And I said, "Well, I didn't know much about it, but I said it sounds cool." Um, and yeah, and then anyway, that was supposed to happen in 2020, and because of COVID, uh, happened uh, happened uh, end of last year. 
Yeah, this is cool. So, a night of the brewer's paddle. That kind of sounds like a dirty movie, but what? What? Um, it, so, what does that mean now? Are you? Do you get to wear a crown? Like, do I have to call you sir? How does that work? Uh, well, I think you should call me sir for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's actually. I mean, there's not much to it. Uh, I thought at at the beginning, I thought, you know, hey, this is great. Um, but when I got there, it was it was a, a bigger deal than I expected. Uh, I was able to bring my family there, um, and it's a it's a big deal in Belgium, and I was very honored to have received it, and and I actually felt uh, felt out of my, out of my league for sure when I when I was given it. Uh, the amount of people that uh, there's not many that get it, and when you do get it, the people that were getting it were uh, uh, I would say above my stature. Hmm, that's fun. So this is uh this is a long ways away from Coronas at Spaguchi's. <laughs> It is. It is a long way away from Corona's and Spaguchi's. That's for sure. Um, so let me tell that. Uh, let me tell that history before you continue. Sure. Um, so thirty years ago, almost thirty years ago, is when I originally met PJ. Uh, PJ, uh, here's where I get to brag about you. PJ has been incredibly supportive of me through all the years, and that is through DJing and, and just life and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, this is a guy who has uh, showed up for me time and time again and taken my phone call time and time again, and I appreciate you for that. So thank you. The um, there, were, there was a day when we were DJing, and it was PJ the boy, and you'd go to Spaguchi's, and, and there you'd see PJ with a corona in his hand, and he'd be playing his records and doing everything else. You probably, uh, if you are of our vintage, probably went to an event with PJ back in the day. Now, um, you DJed all over, centered in Calgary, but um, you know hip-hop was a thing in your world, your love affair of that, and you were one of the best, uh, in my opinion, in the country of bringing that whole world of the nineties of that, that hip hop nineties into the two thousands of what it was, but that wasn't your love for hip hop. Wasn't your love affair for hospitality and bringing people together and giving them a place to be safe and have a good time. That was to me, because when you started with club cherry way back in the day and all the things that you got started in, I mean, that was really seemed to me to be what you were about. The music was great. You loved the music. You played the music. You did it like nobody else but you really brought people together. That's to me what you've done over and over again. Yeah. Thanks first and foremost. But, uh, yeah, I always, I always look back in those days and, um, I, I think as, as a DJ, I was, I was good. I was okay. Uh, so thanks for the compliments, but I was really good at throwing parties and that's what I became. And, and you said it best. I mean, that's what I, I love to do and, and get people together and, kind of naturally progressed uh, from from that standpoint into obviously owning some bars and nightclubs and then getting into the restaurant world which I'm in now and you know I just I just love that I love getting people together and and uh you know it get seeing them experience things uh, the way I'd like to experience them you know with the atmosphere and the vibe of the room mm-hmm. well it's been incredibly important and you've done that so tell us about craft craft started out as you know you you saw the opportunity to create a big old beer hall you did that. I mean, boy, oh boy, the, the beer line vendor must have done a happy dance of joy when you shared your plan of how many beer lines and types of beer you were going to carry because you were part of that that new standard of off-the-chart selection. Um, what is Craft today? Yeah, so Craft was founded in 2011 in Calgary. Um, a pretty pretty big ambition. Uh, lots lots of beer on tap. And Really, for us, it's it's a it's a premium casual restaurant that happens to focus on on craft beer. So we really wanted to elevate the menu, and 
well, just like just like we talked about earlier, people came in droves in Calgary, and and soon enough we were on the radar from a lot of people. So we we then opened in uh, Vancouver uh, in 2013 and Edmonton in 2013, and you know the journey kept going. So we're in we're nine. We have nine locations in uh, seven cities, so um, it's it's all across from Toronto, Ottawa, Kelowna, Victoria, Edmonton, Calgary. Um, so yeah, it's all over, and it's it's been it's been a wild ride and very fun, and uh, couldn't have done it without without a team. And my team's been amazing and really bought into the to the concept, but also just uh, really great people that that want to grow as individuals and and want to get people growing underneath them. So you've seen human relationships from so many different angles, right? Um, you, you've seen it from the, on the dance floor, playing music, throwing the parties. You've seen things, um, you know, get, you know, wildly loose. Look, we both know Gummy. So um, Kevin um, is a great example of uh, a fantastic party that <laughs> gets wild sometimes. Um, so you've been able to bring people together like that. What what part of it do you, what's your biggest takeaway today, the importance? I, and I asked this question with people are always looking for ways to connect and make friends and, and spend more time with people. You've seen it from all different aspects. What's your biggest takeaway at this point, assuming it'll change in a few years as we grow and learn? Uh, yeah. Biggest takeaways. Uh, I think, I think it's just taking time for people and, and I'm guilty of it too. Like anyone, you know, you, you, everyone's busy and, but uh, you know, putting down the phone and actually taking time with somebody is important. Um, you know, I, I always tell my kids, my kids are getting older now and, when I was in in high school, one of my biggest traits was I I brought people together, and and I've watched that with my kids. They really followed in the footsteps. Is, you know, you don't have to be in one group. You know, you you can be you can really expand your circle. So I think the big takeaway, and I told my my kids that is just expand your circle, get to know as many people as you can, because you you never know. There's always something that uh, will tie you together with them. Mm-hmm. What's next? Now you're um you know you're you're a knight. Sir PJ, um, Confederation of Belgian Brewers. Does that does that change anything for what comes next, or is it just sort of an honor that you get to carry forward and, and share with the world? Yeah, it's like I said at the beginning. It's, it was a bit surreal. It was uh, it was a great experience. Uh, um, you know, the Prime Minister of Belgium was there, the Mayor of Brussels. Uh, it was a bigger deal than I expected. But uh, you know, coming home, it's I, I really gained. The, the the award is is for my team. They're the ones that pour the beer, and uh, you know I'm just happy and and proud to be part of that ownership. And um, you know what's next for us? We're we're our brand is great. Our team's great. We we want to open more. We're we're actively looking for new locations, uh, mostly in Ontario, but uh, and and BC. But right now we're also looking at the U.S. I think we've got a great concept and a and a great team to to move forward. Still listen lots of hip hop. I do, I do, and speaking of my kids, they've turned into '90s hip hop heads. I swear, they really uh, they go to school and and their friends are like, "Well, who is this and what's this?" And now everyone's listening to it. So they're, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I've got a turntable in my kitchen that my wife didn't like at the beginning, and now she loves it, and we've got uh, vinyl playing all the time. Nice, I love it. That's so good. That's so important. I feel like um, with the hip hop of today, with the except few exceptions that are out there, like Kendrick and whatever, it's so incredibly important to go back in time, you know, to the Mob Deeps and and KRS One and and all those ones from back in the day, and and share the good, the poetry. Yeah, my like I said, my kids are right into it. We're uh, the Wu Tang Clan's doing the, their national tour and. Uh, 
they they wanted to get tickets right away so i got tickets and i'm like i'm i'm am I a bad parent for bringing my kids to the wu-tang nas and de la soul i i think i good or bad whatever it's it's good on my part i don't think it's i think it's great de la soul are you kidding me like do they realize how many songs those have influenced in today's world i mean that's good parenting in my book man yeah well i, I i'm officially the coolest parent in my in my daughter's friend circle that's for sure because they come over and they see the record collection and they think it's uh my kids and it's mine so they're, they're pretty impressed let's uh let's finish then with um let's throw back to uh what would what's your big one that you go to that you hang on today from back in the day one of those throwback hip-hop songs that's kind of uh the one of the ones that you will always go to probably one of mine is common the light it's probably the one that i listen to one of the most of all the songs del the funky homo sapien uh mr dabalina tribe bonita applebaum stuff like that where do you go uh, well, all those for sure. Um, that's you put me on the spot here. I'll, I'll pick mm-hmm. something different. Maybe uh, main source looking at the front door. Wow. All right. And that's how we will wrap this up. PJ, congratulations on um, the success, even though it is 100% hard work and earned. Um, from the very beginning, man, like you, you were always on a path to, to, to do something different. You didn't ever settle for what should be. Um, you know, you were the guy that was in front of the parties and giving it to the people and, and you changed the way an awful lot of people look at music um, in the city. And I think that you're changing the way that people look at uh, social time now. So you're still doing the magic, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And, and uh, thanks for reaching out. It's been great to chat with you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. That's our phone number for you to let us know if you're okay with some of these items that we've got here. Demi, you ready? You ready to go? You all fired up there, my friend? I'm ready. I'm awake. I'm here. Demi's been up for 21 hours. (laughs) (laughs) She's hanging as a real trooper. Are you okay with? Pest control. Like with people killing the pests or with the pests themselves? Well, see, um, last night on the shift, we had a story uh, from Southern Ontario about a raccoon that was Mm. dispatched by police Mm. with a shovel. Oh. (laughs) Uh, Because the, 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 the... the proper way to deal with it would be to shoot it if it was dangerous, but because of uh, population people and stuff like that, they decided that the gun and ricochet and all those things was probably a concern. So a shovel was the best way to go. I was in a, go ahead. Yeah. Is a raccoon dangerous enough to be be shoveled? Shoveled, dispatched. Mm. Mm. (laughs) They're not cute and fuzzy like they are on the TV, Demi. I don't know. I haven't met trash anyone pandas. yet. Ugh, trash pandas. Um, there was a conversation that I had today uh, in prep for the show with um, someone who had a snake in their yard, sent a picture to the to the animal control and said, hey, what do I do about this thing? And they say, it's the most dangerous snake in your area. You need to get your kids away right now. And so what she did was she got the kids away and then ran over it with her car. Oh, no. It was a rattlesnake. Oh, no. 
So from that perspective, I think I'm okay with pest control. I mean, it's it's not the best scenario for anybody, particularly the pest. But I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm more of a try and keep them alive if you can type person. Mm. You put Personally, spiders outside if you catch them inside. I don't touch spiders ever. So, okay, so you don't keep them alive. Well, they, they own the room that they're in and I don't go in until they've gone. <laughs> What happens when they disappear and you don't know where they go? I pretend they've gone outside. Okay. Do you save the mosquitoes? Yes. <laughs> I don't believe you. You're funny. For sure. <laughs> All right. New York City is the capital city for rats in North America. Residents have called in almost 3.2 million rat sightings to the city's 311 service. The city request line just shy of the record number of complaints in 2021. There are some estimates putting the number of rats as many as five rats per person in New York City. For every person, five rats. Ugh. Um, a few months ago, we told you how... Um, how New York City was on the hunt for a rat czar. They were looking for someone to be the boss of the rats, a paid position to eliminate the rat menace that is New York City. Well, Mayor Eric Adams introduced a former elementary school teacher and anti-rat activist as his new rat czar on Wednesday. The job has been filled, officially. Kathleen Karate, the mayor's new hire, will be known as the Director of Rodent Mitigation. Karate has been with the Department of Education since 2015 and helped spearhead the DOE's efforts to fight rats in buildings. She also earned a master's degree in urban sustainability from City College. Karate making it clear that keeping the city clean and rodent-free is her top priority. No more dirty curbs, unmanaged spaces, or brazen burrowing. There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> and with your help, we'll send those rats packing. I like her. Karate says she'll start off by exploring different techniques to fight rats. She will be paid $155,000 a year for the job. American. Good deal, right? Like oh, 200 I, grand. Yeah. Yeah, I'd take yeah. it. You could dispatch a raccoon for that much money? <laughs> I like I actually don't mind rats either to be honest. I mean, it's really? not like I want a pet rat, but I used to have pet mice. I love them. Yeah. Okay. Really, hey? Just yeah. a All right. Yeah. Okay, that's ABC7 right there. Karate will use a $3.5 million fund to try new methods to control rat populations, expand outreach and education, increase maintenance and remediation work. Fun fact. New York is not the rat capital of the world, though. The rat capital of the world goes to Paris, where they believe there are more than 2 million rats. That's a lot of rats. That, like, that is really gross. I mean, the thing is, is that with the rats, like, shouldn't just cleaning up? I feel like rats are like ants. If you just clean your kitchen, the ants have no place to go get the food. Don't you just clean up and that's where things, I don't know. I'm not a red. Hey, mouse lady. <laughs> Wouldn't that work? No. I don't like, don't they just chill out in the sewers or something? And then, Maybe. you know, come up for air sometimes. 
Like, like you don't actually see that many rats, right? You've been to New York or Paris. You don't just see rats everywhere. I've actually never been to either of those cities, so no. Oh, I don't you're know. not as worldly as I am, but no. no. Okay, Miss Lethbridge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's Demi Knight feeling it for Ryan O'Donnell. I'm Shane Hewitt. Are you okay with? Well, since the rats are chilling in the sewers, as Demi says, are you okay with relaxing outside? Ooh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're not running into all those rats, mm. I'm okay with it. Isn't there something amazing on a hot day about just kind of getting outside and, you know, throwing down a towel and... Get a little sunshine on your buns. Like, isn't that amazing? There really is. Yep. Just with a book. Mm-hmm. Just hanging out. Yeah. Podcast, book, a little bit of music. I even have a, um, and I just found it when the move, I have a solar powered radio. Mm. So it's got a tiny little solar power on it and you got to crank it. It's got to crank, 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 and it charges up. It gets going. And once you get it going, as long as it stays in the sunshine and it's not turned up too loud. Uh, it will just keep running. So you turn on your favorite station and you sit there, you put it nice and close to your ear so only you can hear it. And the sun keeps the radio playing, play your favorite music. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. Mm. I, mean, I take it on my vacations with me. I take it to the beach. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Quite like it. Um, lying in that grass, though, is amazing. I'm getting interrupted. Uh, not so amazing. This is uh, Are You Okay With Scary Animals, apparently, by the way. So it's not amazing when you're interrupted by one of those big, scary animals. A North Carolina man's home security camera was recording when he was relaxing outside and he came face to face with a black bear. David Oppenheimer of Asheville said his ring camera alerted him to motion outside of the house while he was relaxing in his outdoor recliner. Outdoor recliner. How fancy. He looked to his left. He was face to face with a bear. And that seemed to be, that bear seemed to be just as spooked as he was. Okay, David Oppenheimer sharing the video. You'll see him there relaxing in his chair in the carport. When he heard his ring camera chime, turns over and looks over there, guess what he sees? A bear. They both react when they see each other, both frozen in that moment for a few seconds. The bear decides to run off. Oppenheimer says he's lived in his North Asheville home for 15 years and the bears are starting to show up more frequently and during daylight hours, checking things out. What's going on? Hmm. Amazing. Okay. Uh, uh, that uh, story right there. Um, the resident said he believes the bear was uh, to be the same animal he's seen wandering around his house and raiding his bird feeder. The bears here are very peaceful. He said this one just caught him off guard. So, but again, this goes back to the thing, Demi, clean up with the bird feeder and the animals go away. Yeah. No? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, don't you read about a bunch of bear science? Like, people running into bears lately? Have you not noticed that? I haven't really noticed that. I, I always notice the tourists in the summertime trying to take pictures of the bears on the side of the road. I find that one dumb. That's true. I guess it's people running into bears because it's their own fault. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Don't know where I was going with that one. Well, we we sort of put our we sort of put our homes in the bear place, right? We we do. I mean, it's kind of on us, isn't it? No, isn't it kind of? Don't we put our homes in the rat place? I don't know. What I came first, know. New York or the rats? Mm. That's a good question. That part I absolutely do not know the answer to. 
I don't. Okay, so in the uh, in the case of being outside, first of all, recliner's nice. Hammock is better. Just want to be clear on that. Are you okay with vacations a la camping RV park? No. Why? I hate camping. Do you? I I'm hate more of a glamper. Like, I like glamping. I'm a hotel person. Wow. Yeah. It's no fooling. Um, well, why do you for hate what camping? reason? Well, what reason do I want to go to a place that has like no toilets, no showers, like like downgrade from my home? Mm -hmm. For what reason? To get connected. With what? It's, I don't know. Society things. No. I I, I want to be I love connected to plumbing. <laughs> I I love it. There's nothing better. I one of my favorite things every time I'd go camping with the kids would be to you get the trailer set up. And I was glamping. Like I had satellite TV. I had plumbing. Mm -hmm. I had running water, showers, a kitchen inside, a kitchen outside. There was four TVs. There was a microwave, two microwaves actually. Like it was like on a rainy day, you watched two movies on the satellite TV and made pizza and cookies in the oven, right? Like it was not uncomfortable glamping. But there's something about when you arrived, you got set up. And then that first beer, when you, you know, turn on the food and stand there, like, and they smell the cedar trees and... Oh, it was so nice. Okay, so let's go on a little trip here for our camping, shall we, Demi? We'll uh, we'll go mm. maybe to swampy south, gator-filled land that we love called Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida? Florida. Straight drip. <laughs> All right, despite alligators being pretty common in Florida, unprovoked alligator attacks are pretty rare. Kind of like bears in your bird feeder, I guess. So when a 72-year-old man lost a portion of his right leg to an aggressive alligator at an RV park last Friday, people were surprised. I, I, I don't feel very surprised, actually, but the story gets a little bit more weird. Florida Fish and Wildlife officials trapped and killed these two gators after an alligator bite at the Great Outdoors RV and Golf Resort on Winsong Way in Brevard County. Basically, it's a in an area where the gators lay on the bank there kind of readily, uh, it's only about 15 feet between the house and the water. It's believed the big one there attacked a 72-year-old Titusville man. When trappers caught the gator, it still had a human foot in its mouth. The victim was airlifted to Holmes Regional Medical Center. This resident and former paramedic heard the ambulances coming in. You know, they did get the leg. It was with the gator that they know bit him. So they've gotten both gators that were in that pond, which they have to do, unfortunately. But it's, you know, it's what has to be done. Okay, so uh, that's from WESH News. According to the FWC, Floridian has a 1 in 3.1 million chance of being seriously injured with an unprovoked alligator attack, as opposed to provoked ones, which are just dumb people being drunk. Every year, there's an average of eight unprovoked alligator attacks causing serious injury. What is more gross for you, bitten by an alligator or bitten by an alligator that already has someone else's foot in its mouth? Because I, I think like obviously a, the second. Yeah, I think there's a fluid exchange there but, that's uncomfortable for me. Yeah, I think you'd be pretty uncomfortable either way if an alligator is biting you, though. That's a very good point. Still, though, that's someone else's foot touching your foot. <laughs> it's probably cold. That's yeah, I, I think, think that of. would be the the least of your worries, but. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.